I want to let y'all know about our guest speaker tonight. Um, he is on our worship team. Um, he is leading a, a college life group called Q1. And he is an artist, a singer-songwriter. Every time uh, I texted him uh, a couple weeks ago about him preaching a message, and he was talking about his music twice. I think it was me that asked you, but I was like, send me a sample as soon as you can. I want to hear it before it ever comes out. I want to, I want the exclusive content. And he would send me samples and I'm like, oh, this is really good. And, and I would hype him up and stuff like that. But he is a really, really good musician. He does his own music. Uh, actually, a song that's coming out August 5th is, it's called Need You featuring, um, his homeboy and uh, a guy that I know, Taj Galleon. So they're going to be doing a song together. And then he has two other songs out. He just came out with a song called Work in Progress. And his most popular one on Spotify is Image of God. So if you want to follow him, just type in, uh, I'm trying to spell your name, J-A-I-R-U-S? Okay, I got it right. J-A-I-R-U-S. Okay, I got it right. So J-A-I-R-U-S-M, period. That's his Spotify Spotify name. So I'm plugging him tonight just in case, you know. So, so yeah, he has those couple of songs coming out. But I'm excited to, for him to preach tonight because he, I got to see his message when I talked to him about preaching uh, his little message tonight. And I, I read through the whole thing and I was like, this is needed. When, when I, I'm just going to, I'm not spoiling it for you, but I also am very excited that this, this is, I wish I had this as a church kid. Now, this is for lost people as well, to you who don't know Christ. This is for you as well that are wanting to get saved or are saved. But as a church kid, reading that, it has helped me understand more about this topic he's about to bring. And so I'm very, very pumped. So without further ado, can we have a hand clap for Jairus Martin? Testing, testing. Y'all can hear me? Cool, cool. Like you said, my name is Jairus, and I'm so excited to be here with you all tonight. Like, I preached this message not this past Thursday, but the Thursday after that one, and I felt like God literally airdropped this message to me from heaven. So, like, I'm really excited and honored to be here with you all tonight. It's so cool to see, like, so many young people following Jesus, and I'm not that much older than y'all. I'm only 22, but... When I was you guys' age, I was not in a relationship with Jesus. I was not walking faithfully with the Lord. And so to kind of see you guys here doing your thing, it's like really encouraging and inspiring to me. And so I can look at this room and see like all the different relationships that you guys have with one another. And I know like Pastor Jacob loves to build these relationships and maintain these relationships with you guys and continue to expand on them. And that word maintain so that word is a word that the Lord has been speaking over my life for the past couple of months. And I feel like with this message, he's kind of tied in what he's been wanting to speak to me, not only for me, but for you guys as well. So I want to dive right into that. And so last year, I began working in a maintenance position in a church. And so with that, there's a lot of different things that go in within this role. It's a rewarding yet humbling experience. I would say now, like working in a position like this, you really see where your heart is for the Lord when you have to serve other people around you. Because a lot of things that we do in this position can either be underappreciated or unnoticed if somebody hasn't set their eyes on it in detail prior. And so the main job is obviously to maintain the facility or maintain the church. 
And so to maintain something seems pretty simple if you're looking at it from face value, right? But I think that my work experience has helped me to define and sharpen what it looks like to actually maintain something. And so I want to tackle two definitions of what it looks like to maintain something. And I want to start with one and get to the other one later. But the first one says to maintain something is to keep it in good condition or in working order by checking or repairing it regularly. And so with my maintenance job, like the road can, that job can either be really simple or super complex, depending on what kind of day it is at work. And so, so far in the summer, like I've worked on the roof doing like what we call preventative maintenance. So there isn't leaks on the roof. I've scrubbed the toilets and cleaned poop off the floor. Uh, I've helped build set designs of pressure wash, like any and everything that you can think of, I've probably done as far as maintaining that church. And so I say all that to say, like, it can feel all over the place at times, right? But it keeps me on my toes because I never know what I'm walking into on a day-to-day basis of work, whether it's something planned or not. But if at any point me or my coworkers slack off in our work, it becomes noticeable over time. And then we're given further instruction and correction by our boss to make sure that we're doing our job so that the building can stay in alignment and so it doesn't fall apart over time or at any given moment. And so the things that we do in the day-to-day can seem minuscule and it can seem tedious, but if we aren't looking and paying attention closely to them, like the things that seem small in the day-to-day things become much bigger problems if they're not attended to in the day-to-day things. And so, like I said, it's more noticeable to other people who don't work in that position after time when they see it's not being done. But for us in the maintenance crew, we've always known what our responsibility and obligations were. And so we can kind of slack off, or if we slack off, I should say, uh, but yet we still expect like a full paycheck at the end of the pay period. And so I think that that same mindset and that same rationale is downloaded and embedded in the minds of so many believers within the church today. And so we look at it like this. We want an inheritance from God and we want our names written in the book of life, yet we want to lazy walk a lazy lifestyle of faith out with God. And so that leads me to the title of my sermon tonight. And the title of this sermon is Maintaining Your House of Salvation. So God's word, the Bible, it maps out the blueprint as far as how we are to build this house, right? And so before we can maintain anything, you must have it in a stable condition to begin with. So step one in maintaining your house of salvation is building it on the right foundation. See, we must be careful in our building. We have to be precise, but yet at the same time, we have to remember that we're building a house that will be able to withstand the trials and tribulations of life. And so you kind of want to make sure you're getting all your, crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's, right? Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27 says this. It talks about the wisest and foolish builders. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follow it, follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who's built his house on sand. When the rains and winds come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So like I said earlier, the Bible is our blueprint. And so God's word is also inerrant, which means that if God is leading you in any direction from his word, 
he's not leading you to an area that will be found with fault, but one that will be that will be found with favor. Excuse me. And so, a lot of times, we as believers want to instantly point the finger at God when any of the slightest inconvenience occurs in our life. When in reality, we should expect to be inconvenienced because we go against the world's standard. The world's standard is corrupted and broken, but our standard as Christians is holiness to be set apart, purity. And so we should consider it pure joy when we face those different trials of many kinds, as it says in James chapter 1. Because when we do, we can experience pure joy even when we go through these different trials and these different tribulations. And so we can also be taken on to maturity, not lacking a single thing within our faith. But it all starts with your initial foundation. See, when your foundation is firm and your house is built efficiently, everything aligns in the way that God has for you. Even when the storms are arising and everything is going crazy outside, like you're safe in your house. You're safe and secure in a relationship with God. So like there's this song by, uh, I believe, Cody Corns, uh, Firm Foundation. And there's a line in the song that says, I've got joy and chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. And so the foundation of faith is essential, but it doesn't stop at that foundation alone, which leads into step two of maintaining your house of salvation, which is to assume the responsibility. And I know y'all kind of young in here, and I remember like 16, 17, like I was not that responsible. Like I was working fast food. I was spending money. Every check I get on at least two pair of shoes, I was a sneakerhead. I didn't want to like take care of like every like my necessities, whether that's like school stuff or nothing like that, I still let my parents do that. But a spo- responsibility, let's dive into that. So when you sign a lease for an apartment, you recognize that the landlord, in large part, is the authority figure. Why? Because they own the property. And so it is under their supervision and their care. And so they have to make the necessary calls and decisions to make sure that that property remains in a good, profitable condition. And so when you transition from a house to an apartment, all those duties that the landlord have now translate into your own home. And now you have to assume that responsibility and take care of your own home. And nobody going to force you to take care of your house. My mom used to always say, clean your room. Like, no woman want no nasty man. She used to tell my sister, no no man want no nasty woman. So make sure you clean your room. She would always fuss and always get in trouble and punished, but... Yeah, it's like assuming that responsibility and taking ownership for the things that matter to you. And so I can aspire to be a multi-millionaire entrepreneur, right? But if I never take time to learn how to invest, budget, save my money, steward well with the money that I do have, with my finances and assets as well, it'll continue to be a distant dream because I'm not actively walking and pursuing that. It's just a, it's just a thought. And so in the same way, if we truly desire to see the kingdom of God advanced, we must be willing to invest in prayer, devour and digest God's word, steward well with the gifts that God has given us already. And so we have to seek out ways from the Lord to actively maintain our salvation. We have to pray that that is both a pure and natural desire of our heart. Because in the the flesh, like it's not natural for me to want to go after God. I want to go after girls. I want to watch Netflix. I want to binge all these different shows. I want to listen to this secular music. And like, it's these things that consume me and grab my attention. And then my eyes are no longer set on God. It's set on the world. 
but I kind of dabble between the two, and this is not the standard that God is asking us to walk in. And so if we look in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, this is what it says. So then, my dear ones, just as you have always obeyed my instructions with enthusiasm, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. That is, cultivate it, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe-inspired fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. For it is not your strength, but it is God, not your strength, who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work, that is strengthening, energizing, creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. And so a lot of times we want to see God move, we want to see God do these big things for us, but on the other end of the spectrum, we don't want to put in the work. And so we see from this scripture that there's no working out of salvation without God in the picture. Like I can't, I can't earn my way into heaven by doing this or doing that without having God orchestrating and ordaining his will for me. And so Jesus also says this in his word. He says, apart from me, you can bear no fruit. And so that means like, even if I have like worldly success in the grand scheme of things, it means nothing compared to the kingdom of God. And that's why I said earlier that no amount of works will get you, will earn you a, tick, a golden ticket into heaven. So let's not be people who think we are wise and walk in our own wisdom and attempt to determine what works will and what works won't grant us access into the kingdom with the Father. Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10 says this, For it is by grace, as Pastor Jacob has said, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast, so that no one can brag and say, oh, I did this or I did that. But it is a gift from God. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So some of us recognize that we do need to be working, but we want to get by with doing the bare minimum, just scratching the surface. And I think I sometimes can fall into that category, if I'm being honest with y'all. Can I be real with y'all? Can I be real with y'all? Cool. So like, I'm not going to lie and say sometimes I don't want to go above and beyond because people might get on my nerves or like I'm just tired or I just want to cater to my own needs. I want to put myself first. But that's not the standard that Jesus lived by. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And so Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9 say this. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, if we do not give up, we will reap a, oops, excuse me, we will reap a harvest. So make no mistake about it. The things that you do and the things that you don't do, you will be held accountable, accountable for by God. So let's be young men and young women who honor God with our responsibilities by taking ownership of it. So we talked about the foundation of faith. We've talked about some responsibility. Now let's talk about the maintenance itself. So step three to maintaining your house of salvation is to preserve it. Step three is an extension of step two, 
though I didn't include it in step two, because it's one thing to recognize your responsibility. It's another thing to actually do something about it. And so you can take this example with a grain of with grain of salt. Like, does anybody in here still get allowance like from your parents? Wow. Wow. I'm really I, I feel the age gap now. Well, look at it from this point. If your mom or your dad asked you to cut the grass in exchange for allowance every week, you would do it. But after a while, when you've gotten some allowance and you kind of say that you might want to slack off a little bit and you won't tend to the grass as much because you already have some sort of found, some sort of financial security because you've been saving it. Right. And so you might get comfortable in that and you might let the grass grow a little bit more than what you normally would. But after time, when your mom or your dad like starts ganging up on you and they're like, hey, like you need to cut the grass, like you recognize that it's your responsibility and you recognize that you'll get to it. But when you do get to it, now it takes more time, effort and energy to get it back to a low, sustainable um, length. And so if we're looking at the second definition of maintain, it is this to keep in an existing state as of repair efficiency or validity preserved from failure or decline. And I believe that that definition of maintain applies to our spirituality, our relationship with God and how we're to go about that. So there are three main ways we preserve our house and they are the three R's. So renovation is the first one. So sometimes we have to add on to the original plan because we've acquired more things that demand more attention from us. So examples would be like maybe a spiritual gift, a calling. God placed something on your heart and he's leading you in a different direction than what you're used to. Or maybe it's a transition. You're going to a different school, maybe a different friend group. But we renovate to elevate. Y'all repeat after me. We renovate to elevate. And so if you think about this example, like typically when you hear somebody renovating their house, they're adding on, they're not taking away because there are some things that they haven't accounted for when they originally purchased the house, but now they have to expand because there's a greater vision in front of them, right? And so if we keep on going, we go to repairing. And so we need to allow ourselves room to be healed by our one true healer and be open to that healing. Just because something has always been the way that it has been does not mean that it is okay, nor does it mean that it might be healthy. And so the things that you've kind of just pushed to the side, like your trauma, your triggers, the things that you've labeled as not a big deal, those are things that need to be addressed so that we can be carried on to maturity, as I mentioned earlier. And so we repair to mend the broken things and prevent further damage from ensuing or occurring. And that leads me to the third one, rearranging. So there are some people, there's places, and there's things that come and go this is just a natural cycle of life, but I feel like it's an important cycle of life because it helps us to grow and continue to expand and walk in that direction that God has called us to. See, we rearrange to position ourselves in, so, in a way that is more beneficial to us now, even though that original thought might not have occurred in our original line of thinking. So something that may have worked for this last season of your life may not work for this next season of your life. And so if we look at those three R's and we put all that into perspective, we go to the rich young ruler. Has anybody ever heard of the rich young ruler in the Bible? Cool. Well, we're about to learn about him if you haven't. So in Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17, this is what it says. 
As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up, running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, commit adultery, steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. So like I mentioned earlier, we want an inheritance from God. We want the we want the benefit of the harvest, but we aren't willing to put in the labor that goes along with that. And so the ruler recognized that there was a requirement for this eternal life that he was seeking out. And so he took it upon himself or assumed the responsibility to go out and seek that. But upon hearing what would be required of him, he deemed the bid too high and he wasn't willing to sacrifice everything for that gift of eternal life that he was seeking originally. So let's think about this. This man had the potential to be one of Jesus' disciples. So some of us can look at him and say, like, he's crazy, he's foolish, like, I wouldn't have done that. But we make those same decisions every single day. And see, his issue was that he found security in his wealth and his possessions. What is yours? Is it your reputation, what people might think of you? Is it your pride? Is it your home situation? Is it your guilt? Is it your shame? Is it your anger? See, the list can go on and you can fill in the blank because you know yourself better than maybe anybody in this room. But God knows you even greater than that. And so the very things that we believe are sustaining us may be the very things that will cause our foundations to crumble. See, things of this world do not provide you security. They are liabilities And not addressing them now will lead to problems that will occur later and cost you a great deal more than what you may have bargained for. And see, the the young rich ruler ruler, may have thought, how could Jesus ask me to do something like this? Or is it even worth giving up everything that I have now to have eternal life? And in the long run, it is. But in the short run, a lot of times we can be so distracted with the world and the things that we have attachments with that it's kind of hard to see things for the the bigger picture because we're only focused on what we have right in front of us. And so I think for some of us, it may feel that Jesus is asking us to do the impossible like the young rich ruler may have felt. So how do we tackle this mindset? Well, I think that Jesus answers it in the verses following. So if you pick up back in Mark 10 and verse chapter 23, I'm sorry, in verse 23, it says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Amen. And so we cannot uphold 
We cannot upkeep. We cannot preserve a salvation on our own. There needs to be a full surrendering of all things unto God because the more attached you are to something, the harder it is to let it go. So we need to, we need to have God in our life and allow him to help us walk out this salvation to accomplish it in the way that he's designed us to because without him, we simply can't do it. We don't meet the status quo. And so if we assess the three R's in this case here, we can look at how Jesus practically laid out the roadmap for this man. He was trying to help him do all three in a sense. So if we look at it from the renovating stage, Jesus was trying to add on eternal life to his list of assets, though it would cost him every other earthly asset in return. But this will launch him even further into faith because we renovate to what? There we go. So repairing. Jesus was trying to heal his damaged way of thinking that his possessions would ensure his security in life. But it can be argued that this man left the conversation with Jesus even more damaged and broken in his thinking than when he approached Jesus to begin with. And then if you look at it from the rearranging, Jesus was trying to get him to set his eyes on things above by not focusing on the things of this world. But his refusal prevented him from having a renewed mind and a new outlook on life, a healthy outlook on life. He was so focused on what was and what is that he couldn't even begin to fathom what it would be like to walk in full surrenderance to Jesus with no worldly possessions, but a kingdom, eternal kingdom that will welcome him in the proper time. And so these types of entanglements are dangerous because they keep us wrapped up in old habits in old ways. My mama used to tell us growing up too, I'm just talking about my mama, I'm a mama's boy, uh, but she used to tell us that. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. So if you don't hear anything else from me tonight, hear this. Don't be an old dog. Why? Because old dogs are stuck in their ways. They don't want to learn nothing new. They're basically on the tail end of their life. And so everything that they've learned and everything that they've grown in is something that they're stuck in, essentially. And so God wants to take us into maturity. God wants to take you guys into maturity. Immaturity, that's like a... That's like a big word, I feel like, when you're a teenager. Like, my mom used to tell me to grow up and, like, when I would do childish things and whatnot. But maturity, like a spiritual maturity, I think that's a, I think that's the thing we should all pursue if we're walking in a relationship with God, if we truly are, I should say. But God wants to take us into maturity, and that is a lifelong process. And that process goes by the name of sanctification. And sanctification spurs along the preparation of the bride in which Jesus is going to return for. And so we have to be willing and available to play our part in that process, which leads into step four of maintaining your house of salvation. And that is by keeping it guarded at all times. If we look at the book of Matthew chapter 12, verse starting up in verse 43, this is what it says. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. And this goes to show that when you leave your house unattended, you and you welcome in the unwelcome. And so there's a saying that people will only do what you allow. And I believe that same logic applies to the enemy. 
he will only do what you allow him to do. So like we have the power to declare that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And so like if I'm feeling anxious today and the devil might want to run with that and tell me like you're feeling more than anxious, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling suicidal. I was like, no, 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 no. I am a child of God. I can find peace. I can find joy. I can find so many other things that God has affirmed in my life to where I don't even have to think about the lies that the enemy is speaking over my life. And so if we don't set boundaries with this world or the prince of this world, Satan, are we truly set apart from it? So we must not partake in even the slightest of things that separate us from the will of God. Because when you give, some, when you give the enemy an inch, he'll surely take a mile. And he's the greatest scammer of all time. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 15, says this. Do not love the world of sin that opposes God and his precepts, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust and sensual craving of the flesh, the lust and the longing of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, pretentious confidence in one's resources, or in the stability of earthly things, these things do not come from the Father, but are from the world. And the world is passing away, and with its lust, the shameful pursuits and ungodly longings, but the one who does the will of God and carries out his purposes lives forever. And so we have to sever the ties that invite the unwelcome. You have the full authority to shut down any false truth that the enemy has spoken over your life or over your family's life as well. So we have to constantly remind the devil of his place because he doesn't seem to get it. And he's utterly desperate to get you outside of the will of God because misery loves company. In Matthew chapter 24, this is what it says. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So when you fail to keep your guard in a fight, the impact of the blows are more intense and brutal. Therefore, it's harder for you to make a comeback. Being guarded is a discipline. Have you ever heard that saying, float like a butterfly? Right. And so that's how we have to take our approach when we walk in faith. So we have to learn how to swiftly evade these attacks from the enemy and fight back harder. And we have to be quick on our feet because he's coming to kill, steal, and destroy everything that God is attempting to build and manifest in your life in the now and bring forth to life. And so the devil is your op. It means he's in opposition to everything that God has his hand on in your life. And he will not stop until he gets what he wants from you. And that's to get you away from God. But don't forget who is in your corner. Jesus. Jesus has overcome this world and he can help you overcome it too. And he wants to be your personal trainer. He's fully qualified and experienced to experience too, to equip you for the fight that he found victory in himself. And so if we do a recap and look at that last step, before we get to the last step, excuse me, we have our solid foundation, we have the ownership or the responsibility, and then we're actively preserving our house and protecting it at all costs. And lastly, the fifth step to maintaining your house of salvation is welcoming in the homeless. It's kind of funny that I just told y'all, like, keep your house guarded, but at the same time, I'm telling you to invite the homeless in. So why do I say that? 
Well, the homeless are the unbelievers. The homeless are those who are not saved. And so heaven is not their home. They're lost and they desperately need a father just as you and I do. And so we have to be willing to share our faith with any and everybody at any given opportunity. Romans 10, 14 says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So someone once told me that you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. And so I love that phrase, but I always extend it. And this is what I extend it with. So model out your salvation in a way that will lead the unbeliever or the lost to Christ. So my question to every believer here is, will people be led to or from Jesus based off of how you've been modeling him lately? So as we transition, if I can get everyone to bow their heads and switch gears with me. Maybe you're in a difficult season right now and you would say, you know, Jairus, I, I've been struggling to maintain my relationship with the Lord. I have fallen away. I've maybe gotten into some things that I shouldn't have or things have just been hard with my family situation. We're having financial issues. My mom and dad are having marriage problems or you don't know what this next school year is going to look like. Are you afraid of what people might think if you actually want to pursue God further and deeper than what you have? Can I tell you that right now, following Jesus wholeheartedly is the best thing you can do for in comparison to every other thing that this world may have to offer for you. And God is wanting you right now to take a step of faith by simply acknowledging the things that you've been holding on to that you need to let go of. And telling him right now in your own personal way, God, I don't want to live like that anymore. God, I want you to have my whole heart, not a piece of it. But every single aspect of my being, Lord, you have it all. If you feel like you've been in that rough spot, it's been hard to maintain and upkeep your relationship with God. With everybody's heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you feel like that's you. I'm going, to I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith and raise your hand right now. And that's not to embarrass you. That's not to call you out. That's so that we can be praying alongside with you. I feel like there's some more hands that should be going up. If I can get the ministry team to tend to those who have their hands raised. You see, the thing about God is as you pursue him, he's rushing to pursue you all the more. God wants a relationship with you. He loves you so much. There's nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God. That's what it means to have an unconditional love for someone. And your father wants to meet you right now in the midst of what you're going through. So don't think for a second that you've fallen off too far, that you've made the same mistake, the same sin over and over again, so much so that God doesn't want to be involved with you anymore. That can't be further from the truth. That is a lie from the enemy. But I'm here to tell you that as you continue to build and you continue to maintain that relationship with God, you become so much stronger, so much wiser, it's easier to share your faith with other people around you. It's easier to maintain 
you're more aware that you need to be more guarded. You recognize that every single day I have to choose Jesus. So I want to say a simple prayer to lead you guys out tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come before you with open hearts, God, willing and ready to receive whatever it is that you've been calling us to or will call us to. God, we recognize that if we haven't been doing our part, God, we're going to step up to the plate now and walk in a manner such that pleases you. God, we're going to pursue ways to continue to be holy and pure before your eyes, seeking to complete your will and not the agendas of this world. Not walking in our own wisdom, but God, walking in wisdom that comes from heaven, wisdom that is pure, wisdom that is found without fault. God, would you just meet us here? God, would you continue to show us how to build on that firm foundation so that we don't fall and crumble along the wayside, but God, walk along that narrow road, God, centered and focused on what exactly it is you have right in front of us. Lord, we love you. God, we bless you. God, we recognize that we can't do it without you. And we don't want to. Lord, would you take the way? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.